clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. Welcome back to Pod Clubhouse's continuing coverage of TNT's Snowpiercer. This is for episode six of season three, Born to Bleed. This is Paul, and I'm here with my good friend, Kat, from Shuffle Online and the Latinx Lens podcast. How are you doing today, Kat? Good. How are you? Well, my tongue doesn't seem to want to work, but other than that, (laughs) everything else seems okay. And joining us from vacation, soldiering on in the name of podcasting, we have my other good friend, Inez. Hi. Nice to be here again. Thanks for cutting time out of your family getaway to join us. Mickey Mouse can wait. Oh, that hurts. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I was yesterday. Today's my recovery day. My body's tired. Yeah, I know what you mean. uh, You know, your phone just counts steps for you whether or if you have like an iphone now these days and uh, i think it was it went into some sort of like uh shock when it because <laughs> you know normally <laughs> i don't quite get all my steps in so so that day and it jumps up by like thirteen thousand steps or something it's like red alert <laughs> yeah we got up to i think it was like sixteen thousand steps um only like seven and a half miles yeah, we were like nonstop move, move, move. And my daughter was like, Disneyland was great, except when my feet were hurting. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> Got to keep walking, kid. We're not done yet. <laughs> we, to, we went to two parks. <laughs> so exactly. We fit them all in one day. So we're going to hop crazy. those parks. <laughs> all right. So Born to Bleed is Stephanie Pike's episode. And that Born to Bleed is part of his narration, part of uh, his outlook on life. Given the events of of the last episode, the failed or minimally successful fire slash bombing and everything else with Pike's psyche and everything, did you guys foresee that a major character death, his major character death, would be following right away? I did not. I was hoping that he would make it out and they would somehow be able to go on and it would be this really in-depth conversation between them with everything that's gone on with the history of the past like two and a half seasons. So on the one hand, I was really bummed that that didn't happen, but I can see why it couldn't happen because then I think it would have tied up too nicely. I don't know. I think it does set up some interesting things to like whatever comes next for Ruth and and things like that. If that will make anybody kind of on edge, especially like the Tailies, the fact that like they went through it. But I guess since it was a Taily ceremony that we'll get into, maybe it's just going to kind of be done. But I don't know. I didn't expect him to die in this one. I'm really sad. (laughs) Well... I didn't expect it either, and I think it sets up a lot of what you're saying, Kat, with those characters, those situations. Uh, Think of Ruth, like you mentioned. If Ruth was to keep score, she might think that Leighton is out to kill the men she likes. He was responsible for the commander of the Jackboots getting frozen to death. And then uh, he definitely had a hand in killing, a direct hand in killing Pike. So 
you know, she might not be super thrilled with Andre Layton. Plus, there's all of the psychological stuff that's going to happen in Layton's head, given all the stuff that we still have yet to talk about leading up to his decision to call for the knives. What about you, Inez? Did you see this coming? Because, man, I really wasn't quite ready for a major character death halfway through this season. Yeah, I think I was surprised also that this was like our first major death that we've experienced this season. I didn't think that it would be Pike right away, especially after like, it was just, was it just last episode, right? That we discovered that he did this. I thought we would have at least a little bit of time in between to see how this catches up with him. And we thought we would see more character development happen because it did feel like there was more to Pike that would have been nice to like learn or nice to kind of see unfold. Honestly, this episode, if anything, just made me hate Leighton more. (laughs) If if it was even possible, right? Because Leighton, you know, like, and you know what? And I took screenshots, and I meant to send this to both of you, and I took screenshots from comments on threads from the social media groups that we follow that have conversations about this. And and there is a lot of people out there who are, like, my anti-Leightonite right there with me. Like, I feel like there's a club that I need to, like, be a part of. Is there a Facebook group out there that I can join? that's like why is Leighton still the leader here I thought that Pike made a very good setup for Leighton to like just fucking like man up and fight me I you know once he lay down you know Leighton was I I could I could see why Pike is like laughing through Leighton's like what do you want anything you want I'll make it happen you could be my the godfather to my daughter like he's really laying it out to kind of bring peace in a very superficial kind of way and you know as soon as Pike's like say hey I know your fucking secret you know, I met with Asha, then Leighton, right? He just like switched and he would rather go ahead and kill Pike after all of this to keep this secret as opposed to like reevaluating what's happening on the inside um, of what he might be doing wrong as a leader. Like, I think I got really pissed off when Leighton said that, um, I wrote it down, he said, I wanted you to be better telling that to Pike. And I'm thinking like, Layden hasn't done shit for Pike to help him be quote unquote better. We've consistently said that Ruth has and that it was real genuine growth and it was growth that was inspiring to Pike. And yeah, I don't agree with what Pike's doing and his methods of doing it, but he's not wrong for like thinking and feeling this way. He, you know, so I don't even know what to say right now. I still hate Layton and I am sad that Pike's dead. (laughs) I mean, I hope it is the right move to provide what they need for the rest of the season in terms of the turmoil and the upset that will cause the rest of the the characters because some of them know the secret, obviously, and then some of them don't know the the secret, but will have maybe some allegiance to to Pike for one reason or another. Like Ruth pointed out that, that they were fighting Andre's war for him while he was gone. I love that moment. (laughs) Yes. I mean, we're not to the predictions yet, but shoot, if this doesn't set up Ruth starting to figure out how to undermine Leighton or that she needs to undermine Leighton and and, and take control of the train for the sake of everybody. Yeah, she'll she'll figure it out. I think she'll figure it out. Anyway, um, let's back up to more stuff before we get to the very end of the episode and talk about... 
So many things happened in this episode. This one felt like more than an hour, didn't it? It did feel like that. Can we, I mean, maybe we can knock LJ out real quickly because what the fuck was happening with her, like, putting her dad's eyeball in her mouth? Like, that was so funny. They had, they had time to put in a weird moment for her. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a callback to what she used to do when Poppy was alive. Oh my god, that's right. I totally forgot about that. So this is it's like her a... comfort. It's her comfort. Okay. 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 I mean, okay. No judgment, except that maybe it was really dirty. Like I, I would have wanted to wash it. I don't know, like what Miss Audrey's like hands like had or where yeah. this eyeball's been hiding. You know, and she just pops it right in her mouth. Didn't even sterilize it with alcohol. She's surrounded by alcohol and didn't sterilize it. Like mm. I did love it though that that's like her thing. <laughs> I did like her little. Her little, like, uh, eyeball movement to till. <laughs> that did make me laugh. I accept that. <laughs> oh, man. No, yeah, I mean, I think the, the the practice of mouthing your, your father's false eye, though, is, is something that we're allowed to take in as, as highly odd. <laughs> okay, so I think we're okay judging that as, as not being typical behavior. Um she was just in it for that moment where she's negotiating with Audrey to get Audrey passage up to see Mr. Wilford. And that moment, I don't know, it helps tell me that she's, as a, as a character, she's still just um, stuck in that mindset or headspace where she was when she was still arranging for people to be cut up and stuffed into crawl spaces and things. I, I think that wherever she is and whatever, what what did we say she was, a, a sociopath or psychopath, whatever whatever it was, I, I think she's... <laughs> I don't, All the above. Yeah, I don't think you grow out of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it also showed, like, how resourceful, like, her situation is. Like, it wasn't, she's not just, like, the bartender. She, like, has some kind of participation in this defying authority kind of arrangements, you know, that she was in a position for Audrey to get to negotiate so that she can get passage to an area that's supposed to be really secure. So it kind of shows you um, where the vulnerabilities are coming back well, exactly. um, on, on the train. And that she's a part, a big part of that. Like she's an influential part of that. You have to convince her to be able to do that. And then she's just going to like wiggle her like eye tongue at you now. Well, that's a great point that on the surface, you know, she cuts Kevin's throat and says, Viva Revolution, saying outwardly, I support Leighton and what's he, what he's doing because he's in charge right now. But behind the scenes, she's arranging to make contact with other people like, I don't know, were they brakemen? Because I don't think there are any. Or were they jackboots? Either way, security mm-hmm. personnel with enough loyalty to Mr. Wilford to arrange for this short meeting, even though others would rather not, you know, break the rules. But still, it happened. So what uh, all that's telling us is that there are still Wilford supporters. Yeah, that was really interesting because I was I was like, oh, OK, people are willing to defy Leighton and, and that leadership, knowing what the consequences would be or maybe thinking the consequences won't be that bad, risking their, their lives for Wilford. But yeah, it's also showing LJ's power and influence that she still has as well. So she's like, although it seems like sometimes she's just kind of like, you know, maybe not as big of a player. She is like kind of that middle ground of like she kind of goes either way and can sway people. 
I mean, she's, she stayed on this long, so, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, she's kind of towing the line and I, she's growing on me a little bit, but yeah, it's just, uh, she's just, I, I love that Till was all of us in that moment. and was just saying like, you're a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was perfect. Uh, continue to love Till. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the Mr. Wilford moment w- with Audrey, I wonder what there is to that. Like he still has obviously his faculties with regard to his scientific mind, but whatever the, 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 the steely spine or the bravado is absent right now. So that part of him that pumps him up to be quote unquote, Mr. Wilford is completely gone. Um, and, and Audrey is storms out. I read that as she was just like disgusted with this, but I'm not a girl. Was there any other, uh, subtext there that I, that I might've missed you guys? No, I think you're right. And I think it shows that maybe their relationship is not so deep as, you know, we or, you know, they have such a weird relationship because of the power dynamics and what Wilfred has done to Audrey that I think she fell in love with him being that, um, big that dick person. energy. Yeah. 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 And then, so she's not into this. She's like, why did I go through all this stuff? Why did I go through all this trauma? Like, you know, at least it was something where you would commandeer me or something. And now she's just like, not for this other guy. And so that kind of shows a lot about her too, or maybe in her mind, she's like, this is not, I'm not going to be, um, I don't know what the better term is, but like a peasant, like she wanted to be next. If she's going to have to endure all this pain and suffering, it seems like she wanted to be there with the head honcho, not, you know, (laughs) not this, uh, yeah, not this person that Wilfred is right now. So I don't know if it's going to last though. This is a interesting also in terms of like the science on, on the train of seeing the effects also paralleling uh, Roche as well. Cause he's obviously still coming out of it. Um, and then we see it with his daughter of like, it didn't affect her as much because Alex tells her, Oh, you're young enough. Maybe that's why. So it seems to like, we got a little insight to that drug and how it affects maybe the older people differently. Mm. They threw a little bit of that insight to us, but yeah. So I don't know if it's going to like wear off. It just takes, maybe it takes them longer to wear off, but it really, we see it with Roche and Wilford, how the drugs really like tap into their psyche and they lose their motivation. I don't know whatever that part of the brain is, but they really just get fixated on something that happened because of the drug and they can't get it out of their mind. So it's going to be like TBD to see what Wilford um, does and see if he can get out of it. But it seems like Roche was able to kind of snap out of it with his daughter, but then Audrey wasn't able to do that with Wilford. Maybe it's because he's older and it it affected him worse. Well, Roche is actually a good guy though. (laughs) <laughs> and he's got he's never been a psychopath yeah he didn't have as many nightmares to kind of relive through that drug i guess that's where, that's what i was going with and the person that arrived to support him the is a loving person yeah yeah well and the inspiration behind what she asked was i don't know more noble more more like a family kind of feeling the i i still need you dad that sort of feeling um whereas audrey's That'd be gross, obviously, if that's what she needed. But still, what she was asking for was, I need BDE, man. <laughs> not and, and so maybe that's not enough to prod him past the mental barrier that was set up. But I think that what you're saying, Kat, about the nightmares being so consuming is proving too much for him to get past right now. 
I did get a sense that Audrey was like utterly disgusted. And I think that a lot of that probably could be like fear because his whole dynamic with her is about power, control, safety, that he will keep her safe, right? Cut your wrist and I will save your life. You can trust me to save your life. And then it's also this, you know, we talked in the previous season and uh, about this unhealthy, toxic relationship dynamic where somebody like grooms, you know, somebody like Wilford grooming people around him to kind of cater to their needs. And then all the sudden that whole safety net that she's had that she's been holding on to is not there he's not that person that she needs and somebody who is really traumatized and really alone because she is alone and you're one person that you thought that you can depend on that's been consistent in your mind and in your experience is not the person who's right here and i feel like i'm going to interpret this change in dynamic as maybe this shift in wilford might be a little bit more permanent than i thought that he would be capable love do i necessarily find it like believable no but i just felt like the way that it was delivered in the scene might suggest that it, this is like meant to show a character turn of events i mean he's over there looking through the papers he's saying that the science is sound and you know and he's like looking through it and he is like feeling really vulnerable and really scared and when you're faced with those feelings and having you know this might be the first time he's felt like genuine fear and concern about his like life and his day-to-day existence. So I don't know. I I know we're not on the fork. What are we predicting kind of thing, but that's kind of how it felt to me that they want me to change my expectation of what Wilford's contributions might look like moving forward. Will allow me to retort. (laughs) Love that. I have to admit that what was that? that was Samuel L. Jackson in uh, oh. Pulp, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah. um, when I was in college, Caroline and I spent way too much time watching Days of Our Lives. And the bad guy at that time on Days of Our Lives was a character named Stefano. And Stefano, just before I started watching, had some medical situation. I don't know if he got blown up or went into a coma or whatever, but, you know, some soap opera thing caused him to be hurt. And so through some turn of events, the woman who had been his target through his previous years of evil dealings, one Marlena, somehow wound up being his caretaker. And over the next few weeks and months, she took care of this guy who all of a sudden was a very different guy than the villain that had been dominating the show for the previous few years. And she was confident that he had changed and everyone else it's like, no, no, it's bullshit. Once a monster, always a monster. But he never betrayed that in his actions or his thoughts until that one moment when he suddenly remembered who he was. And then so with Marlena, he would act the enfeebled, recovering convalescent. And behind the scenes in his private thoughts, he would start to think of ways to reassemble his evil forces and start doing bad shit again and maybe even abscond with Marlena at the moment she would least suspect it so that he could have whatever he'd been trying to accomplish in the previous plots. All As much as it pains me to bring up the fact that I must have obviously watched months of Days of Our Lives to get that tiny amount of plot, because if you ever watch soap operas, you know <laughs> they don't unfold very fast. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> 
but this reminds me of that in terms of you got a sick person, you got a person mm-hmm. that they had victimized before now having to kind of take care of them. And yeah. could they have kind of a duality in their thoughts and actions in order to gain the trust, but then return to their evil ways? <sighs> I'll just admit. So I don't want Wilfer to be good. Like, <laughs> just to be very clear, <laughs> I want Wilfer to stay being Wilford because it makes it a very interesting and entertaining story. It helps me balance the frustration that I feel of my good guys. So I want Wilford to be back. So I'm hoping that that this is something like that, <laughs> like that this is just, you know, while the chemistry in his body is off, he might genuinely be like this up until opportunity and his health is improved. Then I'm hoping that I'll get to see little glimpses of Wilfred. It was really sad seeing him in this very vulnerable, lost kind of way, broken kind of way. That's why I'm saying, like, I don't necessarily blame Audrey for feeling that way that she's feeling. Because if she doesn't have Wilford, she has nobody. Right. Yeah. Um, so that that this is a very natural survival response. Like, fuck, now I need to go take care of myself again. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, and she but I hope Wilford yeah. is back. <laughs> yeah, and I think if he... I mean, it's TV and it's Sean Bean, so I think he will be back in some capacity. (laughs) But I wonder, too, it's going to be fun if he does come back, because if this is the lowest point he's ever been, imagine him coming back even 100 times more, um, like going all out since like he knows the lowest of the low. So there's nowhere else to go, I guess, besides freeze to death. (laughs) So I think he's going to come back swinging even hard. Although I think the dynamic between like Layden and the train and like the fact that like this new Eden, they don't really know if it does exist i feel like he may not have to be so wilfordy if that doesn't pan out and then i think that could be like an opportune moment of like just being another leader that they could look to depending on how the situation goes if it you know if it doesn't work out people will obviously rebel against Layden, especially after this pike death which doesn't like everything is just going bad on this way to eden <laughs> it does yeah. not look good and if it does not if it's not what they think it is Layden is for sure, I think, has to be taken over or dead or something, especially after the Tailies went through this whole thing. And it wasn't it it was like an honorable death. But it, I mean, it's not necessarily something they wanted to happen, even to Pike, even if he did this. You know, your comments kind of make me think of some of the stuff I read, you know, when I post our podcast to the various Facebook groups that support Snowpiercer, that means I subscribe to all of these. And so there are various comments about the show up here on my feed every day. And mostly when I ask people to participate in in our podcast posts, they answer my question and we chat or whatever, but sometimes there's other comments. And I've noticed a lot of people starting to tire of the story, like they just don't like the way it's going. And I don't know if it's a function of the way people are consuming TV right now. You know, I was thinking about it, like when you have a 10 episode TV show that comes out annually, then if you follow the model of old TV, right, where they would make like 24, 25 episodes of TV, right, that means you're only waiting like half a year until the show comes back. Maybe even less if there's like a mid-season break, right? But if it's a 10-episode TV show, then you're waiting a pretty freaking long time. And other stuff happens in between those appearances of your show. So I wonder if you get impatient or you just forget what was going on or you just stop to care. I can definitely see how people could get fatigued of the same story, same frustration. 
I'm at a point where I'm almost jaded just critiquing everything that Leighton does because I'm already angry seeing him on the screen and I'm tired <laughs> of seeing the same story. I know, and I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm like genuinely like this has gone too much. There's just things that don't make sense to me that frustrates me a little bit, you know, like when they say Pike is like a brother to you. And I'm like, I don't even fucking remember that. I don't remember. Like, why are you trying to make me like, why are you trying to gaslight me into believing that? <laughs> um, and then, you know, and then Wilford saying the science is sound. And I'm like, but nobody fucking really like goes through the science for me so that I can believe you that the science is sound. I don't know. I, I, I can see that. I mean, I still find the story really interesting. I do look forward to watching it every season. I did think that it has a lot of exciting moments. I can definitely see that. But for the most part, there isn't really like a lot of like really big stuff. I don't know. And it also kind of felt like, let's just throw Miles in here. <laughs> like oh, people yeah. have been complaining about my, about where's Miles, where's Miles, so we'll throw him in there. And I don't know, I just, it kind of felt a little off on how it was done. We correctly assumed that there would be some excuse for him to have been away, right? And that, that was, he was on the Big Alice version of Snowpiercer for the last six months. Let's not count any of the other missing time, because they don't. And somehow in six months, he grew up to be like six and a half feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, because we thought, well, to kind of make up for how he looks now, it would have to be like a jump time for like a few years. <laughs> yeah. So, this, so we're hearing her say six months, and I'm like, really? We're going to do that? That's how we're going to bring it back? <laughs> yeah. Although well, I will give them some leeway because kids and TV is really hard. It is. And, and I will say it's nice to at least see sure. the same actor instead of like them getting someone else to kind of like be younger or replacing the kid because sometimes they have to go do other things like they did that in one of the I forgot what show but I was really upset because the the next kid they got was not very good <laughs> so and I like Miles like he seems like he's a he's a good actor so you know the the person who plays Miles so um I was excited to see like his curly hair and and whatever so I was like you know sus suspension of disbelief for the kid part of it is okay like mm -hmm. I I was more mad that we didn't see like they did didn't really talk about him or he wasn't any yes. um, like part of any of it like in the beginning like the aging and stuff is like the least of my like mm -hmm. criticism because that they can't control that but like the other stuff of like just throwing him in here like and, because he was such a big part of season one and like a bit of season two like i don't know and they completely ignored him during these like big moments like wouldn't you think he'd be worried about josie and andre like being out you know like they could have just like panned to him in the other train at least like for a moment so i just don't like that he was just written off so not carelessly i'm sure there was a reason maybe he just wasn't available COVID, all that kind of stuff for filming practical purposes but just they could have mentioned him a little bit more so it wouldn't be so jarring to see him now and then they just kind of like oh by the way we were just away for six months on a vacation like i don't yeah, know yeah and he's like really cool with it like yeah i didn't worry at all like i don't know i was just yeah in it's all smiles school. and sunshine yeah <laughs> that's the part i don't i, I agree like, understand yeah i do agree with you i really <laughs> It was funny. It, I think for me, it's just like funny, right? Like it's a good, obvious thing. Audiences are going to see it. There's no way around it. So that is going to be a distraction in the mind. So you do have to kind of set an expectation for yourself. 
that you're going to have these things that are just a little bit off of, of reality on the aging process. Okay, fine. I'll forgive that stuff. But you make good points. If we're going to introduce him, why didn't we have him throughout the season? I think, I don't know if they wanted this to kind of be emotional. It was an emotional episode, but it, maybe they just added it like for that kind of thing. I like your point also about like because of COVID, because I actually did recently read an interview of um, David Diggs giving about how like logistically they had to handle the filming and apparently like the filming crew all kind of like lived in isolation with each other because they had to be away from their families for prolonged amounts of time so they can go do the filming in order to stay COVID safe and stuff like that. So I'm sure like a child obviously is going to need Mm -hmm. like they're not going to want to keep a child away from their family or keep them and their family in that kind of isolated kind of space. So I can definitely understand from logistically why they had to make the choice, but it doesn't dismiss what we're going to see and the kind of curiosities. Like, I think people will be happy to see Miles, but then we're also like, please don't make a point of saying it's been a long six months. Like, if you just said no (laughs) timeline, I think that would have been, like, easier. And then I I think also I met, like, I see, I know that I'm jaded. And I don't know why it is that I nitpick stuff, but I'm like, I'm a curly hair girl. So I, like, know all the ins and outs about how to keep my hair curly. And that boy is using, like, he had gorgeous curls. So he's like that. You're, you know, like, me too. And I was just like, I really was just also thinking, like, what shampoo are you using? Where's this product coming from? Yeah. Yeah. I I was like, wow. At least three or four different things to get my curls to look like that. So (laughs) Wilfred has good uh, shampoo, uh, uh, you know, uh, the engineering. Maybe it's the engineering. He figured it out. Oh, the engineering has like special shampoo swag. Yeah. That's funny. It is worth reminding viewers about the COVID stuff that they do shoot in Canada and that Canada takes whatever the rules of Hollywood are and then builds on top of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms yeah, of, they take it seriously. Yeah. yeah. And also, like, I wonder, because we forget about it, I guess, it's also wondering how the storylines changed with this. Like, I don't know if Melanie was also, I think I heard Jennifer Connelly that like, I don't know if COVID also maybe affected her role and that's why she was not in this or maybe she's coming back. We still don't know about Melanie's um, fate, but I wonder how much of this story has changed and that's why maybe it is kind of like in the same thing. Although I'm sure they could have like worked around some stuff. So I don't know. But I have to say like it has to be a factor in this season at least. And shooting schedules. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it aligns perfectly, but I do know that the man who plays Roche, Michael Malley, was the executive producer and an actor in another show called Heels that appeared in between Mm, this season and last season of Snowpiercer. And he appeared on camera, I think, in nearly every episode. It wasn't a very long series, only like six or seven episodes long. But still, that would, you know, yeah. partially explain why all of a sudden Roche needed to hit the drawers for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any Taylor could have brought up the dispute settling tradition that wound up costing Leighton his soul. <laughs> but I think there was a, must have been some appetite for wanting to roll miles back in because those same Facebook groups that I mentioned earlier have been asking, where is miles? 
we ask it all the time too. I mean, you two especially. I haven't been asking so much, but yes, you guys should get uh, full marks for wondering <laughs> where is Miles and storyline-wise, there are limits with what a writer can do to service a various character when there's so much going on that they need to tell. But it does make you wonder if he had been in Mr. Wilford's apprenticeship program this whole time, and Mr. Wilford's a pretty thorough guy. If manipulating that in some way, in terms of his connection to Josie and Leighton, why wouldn't he turn that screw somehow in terms of their relationship and turning him into another Alex, a very conflicted kid with loyalties and, and that sort of stuff? Maybe we'll get to see some backstory catch up. Like now we saw Miles and so maybe we will get a glimpse into that in future episodes, you know, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, they brought him back for some reason. That would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's got to be some psychological stuff that helps move the story along for the next few episodes, given what Leighton does and why he does it and what's at stake. There's got to be a lot that piles on top of that. There may not be a lot of action for the next few episodes, but in terms of like internal struggle, man versus self versus because of what he's done, <laughs> yeah. it's got to mean one thing, but then also what it means to the other, other people. Let's talk about one of those people, actually. Let's talk about Ruth, Inez's favorite character. My leader, my North Star. <laughs> <laughs> A lot going on with Ruth, although she, I only have a few lines of, of notes for her, but what uh, what she did, I can't disagree with, with any of it. She admits to having a relationship with Pike and she doesn't bat an eye about it. What did she say? We formed a bond. A bond? That's what I said. A bond or whatever her, her meaning was meant to be very clear. She, she wasn't bond. dodging. Right. <laughs> right. I said what I said. <laughs> Move on. Right. I got the sense that when she was looking for Pike, she would turn him in. She wouldn't help hide him. What about you guys? I did not think that she would turn him in. I thought that she would do exactly what she ended up doing, which is like, you, we can do this. Like, we, we can figure this out. This is the right thing to do. But, I mean, she did have more time working on a leadership role with purpose with Pike longer than she has supporting Leighton's regime. Right. They just dug shit in the compost car for a couple of days. I mean, I mean that's that forms a bond, too. Yeah, but not as much as six months of actually like helping people's quality of life overall like it was real purpose saving a lot of really great lives like shoveling the train shit isn't really like great purpose for anybody other than like the train being an asshole to people this is somebody who saved her life and has like tried to help her quality of life while she's doing this very strong thing that she has big purpose for like she's felt strongly on it she did an amazing job no doubt about it so i thought like she has this loyalty to pike to try to help guide him through this in a reasonable way because he usually does listen to her advice and like follow through as we previously seen so fuck Leighton <laughs> does he look like a bitch <laughs> yes <laughs> I love these additions Paul I'm so happy that we've got him now I'm going to save. Can I have that button? Every time I'm going to, we can talk about Leighton. It'll just be 
I'll just be that all the time. <laughs> I felt so empowered reading those comments in those Facebook groups. I was like, I'm always obsessed over like, I'm being too harsh. I'm being too unreasonable. Like, I'm not right in the head. I shouldn't hate a character this much, but no, I do. And then I read his interviews as an actor and I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Like, I'm cool. We're cool. It's not your fault. You're great. But then I get right into the story and it's not personal to David Dix. It's, it's definitely Layton that I hate. Oh yeah. Everybody <laughs> seems to like David Diggs as a, as a, as a person, as an actor, as a performer, as a, as a human being that <laughs> let's, yeah. let's be clear. Please. Nobody like interpret that as me hating on him. I really love him. But yes, this Layton character is killing me and Ruth's very short, concise, intentional way that she had that conversation with Layton about her and Pike. I just really loved it. I don't know what Layton expected. I don't think that he expected maybe her to feel like nervous or embarrassed about it. But I love that she didn't give a fuck. She's like, we fucking almost died like together for six months. We, we kept each other alive. So he kept me alive. And that's big. Of course, you're gonna have a bond with somebody like that. Let's talk about the ending, looking at it from Leighton, his perspective, and all that is now at stake, given how it turns out. That's a big question, or more like tiny, several tiny questions that form like a big question. And let's kind of think about it like character by character. With Ruth, for instance, he kills the person that she has a romantic bond with and uh, other allegiances to. But there's also this idea that he put all this into motion, he being Pike, because he thought she would make a better leader. They discuss that. He says that to her. She asks, did you do this for me? And he just, he just, he doesn't exactly answer. He leaves the room. I think we're supposed to get the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, he did do that for her. So I think that that would then ferment in her mind in terms of, well, he felt pretty darn strongly about it. And he even might have even died for it. So should I challenge Leighton? Is our, or should I be looking to at holes in, in what Leighton is doing? Is putting everything on the line for this Leighton New Eden plan? Is that really a good idea for me to put all my weight behind? Do I need to hedge my bets? Am I missing anything that Ruth might have at stake in, in terms of Leighton and, and what went on in this episode, you guys? I will say that I found her response very telling in the sense, like very different than the, you know, when she, when Leighton first made the mistake and I forgot if it's season two or season one when he, you know, how their relationship has grown since then. But when Leighton kind of passes her after Pike's death and she kind of just like gives a nod, I felt like she understood why it happened and that she didn't really blame Leighton. Like, I, I think she knows that it was more of like Pike not being able to accept it, but maybe as time goes on, she will start trying to see Pike's perspective instead of just maybe the blind loyalty that she has now, but that like was earned. So I don't know if she has it in her to also just go back on it after they've come so far. So I don't know if she's like what her reasoning is. Cause to me in this episode, it seemed like she was like, I really don't like this. Obviously she hoped that she was going to have a future with Pike in some way. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like maybe for the stability of the train and the people, like, I don't know if she can go against Layden unless it's something where it goes against the people and like a really, really bad way. 
some decision that he makes that all of a sudden puts lots of people at stake, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and as long as she's included in those decisions, I think she will have his back. I think it has to be something where he goes solo and does something, you know, um, which, I mean, could possibly happen given his track record. Well, he's rationalizing a lot more. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's killing brothers now uh, yes. be- for his vision. <laughs> he's becoming sort of like a vein of Wilford, you know, because I think when you're a leader, you have to make those harsh decisions. And like if he had just let Pike do whatever and be like, oh, it's OK, it'll just be whatever. Like that also can cost you in terms of um, not be like not being seen as, you know, like strength or there's no real consequences if you go against him. So, well, when he was yeah, in third and he said that's mm-hmm. an order, that wasn't really yeah. a w- well-received moment. By, by yeah, the... It wasn't. No. Yeah. All right. So when I think about other things at stake with, say, the train and Leighton and his decision to kill Pike to keep his secret. I mean, is there another way to look at that that moment when they're in the tale and Leighton finally acquiesces and calls for the knives? It's because of what we said a, a week ago, that, that it may just be that he has this chronic antsiness, this need to just keep being the fly in the ointment. And so he promises that if he's left alive, he will tell the secret. So at that moment, that's when he calls for the knives. So is there any other alternative view here of he killed him to keep the secret? There's no other way. That's how I interpreted it. Leighton's morals, his right, everything that he tries to justify his actions and his role as a leader is thrown out the window when he, in secret, is willing to kill Pike to keep this secret. Is there another way that this could happen? I don't know. Maybe like peacefully relinquishing control and saying, Ruth, you need to manage this train now. I mean, maybe Ruth would have been able to influence Pike at that point point. be like, these are the reasons that we need to like give this a shot or something. I don't know. Yeah, even Josie, I felt like her looks were more telling when she when she had to like take the knives and she was looking at Layden like effing really, you know, like really, right, like you right, can't yeah. you can't make this work. And I feel like she was really disappointed in him because they couldn't find. Um, like I, I think she enacted that. Like they brought up her and Miles brought that up to him because I thought they like she probably really thought that they could work it out and then they could kind of move forward because Pike is such a big like is a big part like was a big part of like everything and um, I feel like she also probably thought that Layden needs Pike like you need those people around you that have been with you from the beginning so she was probably like the most disappointed because you could see it in her looks like she's like like really like when she brought out those knives I was just like oh yeah Josie is another character that we should consider on this she went and talked with Miles Miles and she show up while he's trying to figure out what to do with the idea of the um I'm I'm sorry to the listeners, but all of the screener copies that us three used to review this episode, we couldn't tell what the hell Josie was describing the ceremony as, and we don't have closed captions, so we don't know what she was saying. So it sounds like we're kind of beating around the bush because we don't know the name of the ceremony where they, they, they talk out their disputes or kill each other. It's because we couldn't hear what she was saying. It sounded like a lot of things. None of it made any sense. So we're just going to keep calling it the ceremony, the ritual, the dispute settlement situation, something like that. But that, it all means the same thing. The crucial conversation. There you go. So when she shows up with Miles, Leighton barely gives him like a what's up. <laughs> right? He was his dad like six months ago, right? 
yeah this is yeah yeah that's what i'm saying like feel so disconnected and i feel like it doesn't take much to kind of just say a little bit of like like a hug or something between them to make it feel like it did in the first season where they were like every there were their world you know mm-hmm. especially now with the new kid it just feels like oh he's kind of moved on like it does. <laughs> like Layden has moved on yeah <laughs> It very much does. So Josie's got to have a high level disappointment in Leighton's ability to control this situation, help somehow, like you're saying, the idea that Leighton needing Pike because of their previous relationship. But I think it's also that devil's advocate person. Just if Pike could have turned it from like 11 to 8. You know, Leighton still would have needed that person in his life because there's people that are questioning him on like lower levels. But Pike is like questioning his entire reason for what he's doing. And no one else is really doing that. I'm definitely acknowledging that he has a usefulness for him. But I also understand that Pike is was kind of just way too volatile at this point. He's like really implementing dangerous exercises to get his point across. He's not a scientist. He ripped out a recipe, right? Like he made homemade bombs. Those aren't exactly super stable. Like he had no training in business. Like at that point, like I can definitely know, realize that something had to happen with his character that he couldn't be trusted to be rational on his own. It was just too many close calls, too many dangerous actions, even though fundamentally in his core, he has really sound logic for feeling the way he does. But I do see why he was in endangerment at that point. But I was mad that Leighton wasn't settling because of how dangerous pike did actually become it was because pike was going to tell his secret yeah and you know then the fact that they make a point like oh you guys are brothers and you guys were so close and whatever and that conversation was like five seconds long before they was like oh yeah okay we're gonna bring out the knives like it wasn't like they were like <laughs> discussing this but like somebody like people who knew each other really closely i wouldn't be like in a room having an argument with my sister and we're like you know what let's just settle this like taily style and and like give me the knives now instead of like talking it out like those kinds of disconnects made this um I don't know, maybe, I don't know if this is supposed to be an intentional, like, latent shortcoming or if it was just, like, my jaded interpretation of the story. Well, I mean, Pike was calling for the knives right away. But Leighton is supposed to be the reasonable one. Like, I can see why Pike would do that, right? Like, he fucking bombed, like, the areas twice on the train and he had more bombs to go. I expect that from Pike. (laughs) Layden's supposed to be the reasonable one that they thought could solve it. Just like Kat was saying, you know, that they thought we really weren't able to figure this out. And that conversation was just way too short. And it really stopped when it was the secret is going to come out if you don't kill me, if we don't fight it out. That was just his final hurrah. It was going to have to happen. I was thinking about the main characters in terms of complexity and Mr. Wilford, how earlier you were saying that you don't want to see this, the story without Mr. Wilford providing his element to it. But previously, it was mostly what we'll call, quote unquote, bad, right? He was the bad guy, right? But you could see where he might be that sort of bad guy that adds those shades of gray where it's not that he's good, but he is needed, 
is necessary for one reason or another, whether it's his engineering, his science, the fact that half the train still seems to support him in one way or another for some reason. But then you have Andre, which was quote unquote our good guy, right? And now you start adding in these tyrant type behaviors, the rationalizations for bad behavior, killing people, do as I say, because I said so and I'm the boss, thinking that he can offer Pike the idea of being Liana's godfather. Have you guys ever dealt with... Well, this is a side question, but have you guys ever dealt with a person who is so patently manipulative that they can say things that a person like me, it takes a minute to realize they're being manipulated, so it has to be afterwards? Maybe you guys are sharper than me. So you might know it in the moment. Like, hey, this person is manipulating me, but they might not even know it. They're so used to manipulating people. I ask that because is Andre to that point? Was that a real offer to be the godfather? Or was or was he knowingly trying to extend this fake olive branch, knowing that it was nothing? He was just trying to manipulate Pike, Pike. Into, into acting better. I do think that his tone, when it like if he had gone in there trying to figure out why Pike, who I guess they, they you know, he might have felt that they had come a long way, that they were like brothers, tried to kill him and like where that came from, because, you know, he's been dealing with a lot, doing everything that he has for the train. So maybe he just you would think like, well, if my closest person tried to kill me, like what happened here? Like, what have I you, you would think you would want to look introspectively at yourself or, you know, and think like, did I do anything or is this person legitimately crazy or, you know, is just kind of lost it or whatever, or maybe thinks he has reasoning, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like Layden didn't go in with that thinking. I think he also is just, I mean, he just had a baby. It's trying to protect him, dealing with everything else. So I feel like he just went in with the attitude of, oh, let's just get this over with. And with whether of like that's to the death or whatever. And then I think it did feel like when he offered those things, they weren't authentic. It was just kind of like, oh, like, let me just, you know. And I think he took a page out of Zara's book because she was the one that said, just tell him whatever he wants to hear or whatever mm. you think he wants to hear. And I think that's what he did instead of really dig down and think like why is this person that i thought we were close we thought we were doing this thing together um has turned on me because i would generally want to know why that would happen if you had someone you know super close that has been in the trenches with you and then tried to kill you and he didn't go in with that attitude and i think pike sensed that like i think if he had really admitted things like uh you know like hey like how did it affect you when you like i used you or like stuff like that like that's what pike really wanted from him of like that just honesty of like, hey, like, yeah, we're going to this Eden that I don't really know, but I think it's for the good of the train, blah, blah. I think Pike maybe would have been on board. I think Pike is, was just done with the bullshit. Yeah, so, the wounds. So, he mentioned the yeah. wounds in the narration. Yeah. And like, I think maybe we've all had that conversation with someone who is just like bullshitting you. And like you said, maybe you don't see it in the moment. Maybe you do. Maybe you, it takes a while. And then like you get to this point where like you can actually hear the tone, what they're telling you. And you're just like, wow, this person really is full of bullshit. And then that's why I think I think Pike was at that moment. And he was like, you know what? Like, I'd rather just die. Like, I just don't want to hear it. Like dying is better than hearing your bullshit. Like what another word yeah. of it. And I feel Completely like that's what agree. I that's what I got from all of that little um, conversation from both of them. I completely agree, Kat. Layton didn't give Pike anything. He went in there, some random bullshit about like, I will take accountability for all these things that I definitely did do. So like, okay, like 
that's useless for me right now. And he didn't offer up anything to him to talk about it, to break it down. He just kept throwing awards at him. It did feel very like unprepared. There was no real strategy behind the conversation. I've been through a lot of leadership training in, in my career. There's literally a class that I took that's called Crucial Conversations, which is the only reason why I brought it up. And there's like <laughs> really like legitimate strategies for setting up to have conversations with people that you're trying to inspire or impact their behavior or your influence on them in a positive, authentic, transparent kind of way. Did and Andre miss Layton that day? He, <laughs> he missed everything. Oh my God. <laughs> like, why couldn't he just be like... Why, like, I don't know, understand why or who decided that he should be the one. And then, then Zara did give me vibes from the previous seasons where she's just kind of feeding him really bad advice and he takes it. Like, why? Why are you doing that? To be honest, though, about, I mean, she had just given birth and, right. and Pike I get had, that. had, he, he did not threaten the baby, but he was. I mean, if someone tossed my baby like that on the day it was born. That's because they were cornering him. If you're going to have like a cat and like just be really big cornering a cat, it's going to fucking like bolt in a really not pretty way. I mean, like right away, Andre was like real sus, like he's here and then hangs up the phone. Then it's like they're all like creepy crawling, tiptoeing to Andre. Right. And like they don't really say anything to diffuse it. They just keep this like airiness like you know tension in the air instead of kind of like hey (laughs) (laughs) and i know i totally don't mean like that obviously i don't know like i said okay i'll accept it i'll accept that i'm jaded we got it right but i i don't know like right off the bat like he didn't threaten them pike was clearly like hurt that he's like you really would think i would hurt your baby like I have been on the receiving end of people's wrong perspective or, or of my intentions. Like, people thinking my intentions were one way. Granted, he did fucking real skill Layton. I get it. But I don't know. There's just, like, I, I can empathize with that. I don't think that Layton used great tactics on trying to, like, bring proper resolution to this. And I don't think that uh, it was fair for this resolution that Josie and Miles were proposing. If they didn't, like, give Leighton some, like, pointers on a strategy, like, nobody consulted with him. It's, like, just give him what he wants was the only consultation he mm-hmm. got. And that's it. There's, yeah. like, where's the strategy for influencing and um, real bartering discussions that happens in all leadership conversations? That's why you have a leadership team to, like, figure out what your strategy is. And I didn't see any of that. Did any of your classes involve knives? <laughs> some of them should have. <laughs> <laughs> You know, this this just seems like the the friendship gone bad where like there's a moment where you can probably be adults and like, okay, we just need to walk away from this because we're never going to come to an agreement. And we probably have had those relationships in our lives or will, you know, it's just like inevitable. Um, You look back on those and like, oh, yeah, like I was probably like, you know, either a laden or a pike or whatever, not not like to the extent of wanting to kill someone. But I can see both sides because I think I've been on both sides. And then I think it comes to a head where you're like, oh, okay, like we just need to walk away. And then in this case, though, it was like a very extreme version of that of like, well, he can't just walk away because he knows too much. So they had to like kill each other. But I feel like that's what it was. So I feel like the whole situation of what happened with Pike and Layden is believable because I think they just weren't listening to each other. But it's just sad that it had to end with Pike dying. Where I was going with the, the comments uh, leading up to that question where now we have Layton as a very... He was uh, started out 
good. Now he's gray. And he's clearly now a very compromised leader. When you factor in all these, all the amount that he's had to compromise and then tie into this decision to kill Pike to keep the secret. But it was also, in a way, you could interpret that as the risk of letting Pike go and then starting to sow the seeds of of discontent with, well, maybe New Eden is bullshit. Letting The risk of letting that opinion out there in the train means that he was unwilling to try to deal with it in some other way. Like, nope, New Eden's real. We got Asha here. The, the whole thing's real. He was not willing to risk it, meaning he did whatever he had to to retain power. Is it possible that he was more interested in retaining power than actual, like, good of the train kind of stuff? You know, is he, is he in his own head in terms of mm-hmm. rationalizing his decisions now? Because he actually likes living and being in charge in the front of the train with everybody else. Do you think there's any of that that we're dealing with? Yeah. I think that he does genuinely believe that going to New Eden is the right thing to do. I don't think that it's about him trying to retain control. I think that he fundamentally is a good guy who has no training whatsoever on how to be a good leader. And that's the only part I struggle with. I think his intentions are genuine. I think. I thought um, I would just bring it up just in case. <laughs> just so that I can like balance off all of my latent hate. I do want to give credit <laughs> like <laughs> in how I fundamentally feel about his character. So I do think he does believe that this is the right thing to do because he's been impacted by something that's like influencing his mind. And he feels very strongly that this is like what needs to get done. And nothing about that experience and decisions for me, I've interpreted as this is how I'm going to retain control of the train. I think that he wants control of the train so that they can stay on mission to get to this point by any means necessary. So Kat, did you notice when he got conked in the head that he had some additional visions beyond the dragon blood tree? Yeah, I did. I mean, he was seeing like some pivotal moments in his life. He also saw this weird little like skull symbol. Did you notice that? No, I didn't. It's very like Dharma initiative. <laughs> like, oh, it's just like a weird, yes, yes, yes. weird little skull like emblem. Did you notice that, Inez? I did notice it. Yeah. I haven't made an interpretation about it yet because it was so quick. But we haven't seen that elsewhere, right? Right. No, yeah, I don't think so. Okay. So far. Maybe those could be the ones that got Melanie. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I need her back so badly. Yeah, a a clear-cut person to be in charge. I mean, she made her compromises, but um, I I think I'd rather follow her at this point. The visions, the... Although the visions, I will get. I was like, oh no, we're getting into this woo-woo, like, you know, fantastical (laughs) thing. I was thinking of you, Paul. But then I realized, I was like, okay he had a slight concussion earlier yeah. in the episode so i was like okay thank goodness it can be explained because i was like not having it and then i was like oh wait he had the concussion and then finally after he had more concussion because you know pike slammed him into the ground and stuff yeah, so i was like okay thing, right yeah so i was like okay it makes sense like you thought he would be having whatever these are doing but it's, yeah. it's just weird <laughs> that there was like additional imagery yeah, yeah. It is still a little bit woo-woo, but I'm like, maybe it is grounded in something. So I was like, ugh. <laughs> well, guys, um, we've been talking quite a while. Are there any predictions you want to make for the coming episodes? We've been pretty, you know, reasonable with some of our guesses with where we've been going. 
So in the last couple moments here, do you guys have any other comments that, or, or predictions that you would like to make? Let's start with Inez. I feel like with Layton down on that very last scene, we might actually get to see what leadership looks like under Ruth. Maybe she is a natural second in command while he's recovering. So that would be really cool to see mm, and then nice, see yeah. how that impacts people's behavior. And I think the other thing that I'm kind of looking forward to is seeing more of Miles's development. I am eager and excited to see if they can bring back some science and engineering stuff again for my own self through Miles. What about you, Kat? I agree with Inez on those uh, story points. And then I also just want to add maybe there's going to be something since this was not we didn't have anything dealing with like train issues. I feel like there might be something in the next few episodes also dealing with that as they get to new Eden. Like, I don't think it's going to be a, a nice smooth ride to new Eden besides like the, the human issues that they're dealing with, with each other. Um, so maybe we'll see something um, on the track that will also kind of sway them in addition to late being out maybe for this episode, which will be interesting to see how they deal with um, that dynamic of him not being a leader and then having someone else I'll step up, which maybe Ruth or might be Josie or, you know, someone else. So I was thinking about it, how at the beginning of this show, there were a couple things to worry about. There was the cold and then there was the class system that was keeping the tailies down and that impelled the story forward initially. And sort of like The Walking Dead, right, where you had the zombies first and surviving the zombies lasted quite a while before you ran into the problem with today's version of The Walking Dead, which is the zombies are hardly a problem now. <laughs> you know, people are not dying of zombie bites anymore. And that's sort of like the cold now. The cold isn't really what we're totally worried about on a day-to-day -day episode. We're dealing with this person-to-person -person type issue. And that's the same thing that kind of mired The Walking Dead in terms of people aren't so interested anymore in the way that the story is, is developing. I sure hope that Snowpiercer can see lessons from other shows that deal with this sort of other danger. They have zombies, we have the cold. But don't get so pulled into the person-to-person -person element that we forget why this world is still truly dangerous and what made us interested in it in the first place. That being said, I also expect the next couple of episodes to be wrapped up in interpersonal drama. I think there could be some track-related issues to draw back in, like our Ben's and maybe Miles with Ben to keep sort of like a B plot line where the tension remains high for the episode. But the main tension, I think, is going to come from people like Josie, people like Ruth, maybe even Till, really trying to internalize the death of Pike and what it really means beyond just removing a terrorist. Was there more to it? They only know parts of the story. Ruth probably knows a lot of the story. Will they get together and talk? Probably not, but, but they'll all have various ways of being highly disappointed in the way this turned out, especially Till, because she's like kind of blindly all in following Leighton. The others, they have different things that they're doing, but Till, the only thing she's done this whole season is do exactly what Leighton says. Right. When she figures out that he's bullshit, <laughs> you know, at least maybe compared to the, the ideal in her mind that, that she may be holding him to, that could be a bad deal for him in terms of losing that level of support from her. I know that she's not as important as, say, Ruth or Josie to the, to the story overall, but let's not discount Till's important in the, how the train functions. 
Anyway, I think that's all we got this week. If anyone wanted to, let's let's go in reverse order this time. If anyone wanted to locate Inez out on the interwebs and commiserate about the shortcomings of the character Andre Layton or the outstanding attributes of David Diggs, where would they find you? <laughs> oh, my little club is going to be found on uh, Twitter at Neasy Thinks. Neasy. Neasy. Neasy <laughs> Thinks at Twitter. You can probably see me hanging on there or on those different Snowpiercer Facebook groups. If you're in one of those, look out for me. I'm, I'm an active participant in those. Yeah, the Inez Ophelia. Uh, <laughs> there are <laughs> My no poor other, name or... right there are no no other <laughs> Inez Ophelias hanging out on the uh, Facebook groups that I've noticed so th- this is the one <laughs> and the only thanks for having me and Kat if someone wanted to find you and the things that you like <laughs> where would they find you Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Things Cat Loves. And just be warned, I post a lot about my uh, a lot of my dog photos. <laughs> a lot of dog, dog photos, but also yeah. congratulations on becoming a, a, an official Rotten Tomatoes reviewer. That's a big deal. Oh yeah, thank you. Yes, yes, pretty exciting. Nice. Um, yeah. I'm legit, guys. Do you have a do you have an applause um, button, Paul? We need oh, one of those geez. for moments like this. You know, Not for next time. For next time. <laughs> Let's see. The only ones I loaded. This is the only one that you haven't heard, but it doesn't really work. Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. See, it doesn't really work. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Say Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> one more time. <laughs> I want. Uh, we need to find something that matches that energy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love that quote though. Um, yeah, that was that's very exciting, Kat. You've done a lot of hard work to get that opportunity, so I was really happy when I read that on your on your feed. Oh, thank you. Yes, and I love doing this too. So I feel like it's made me a better podcaster and reviewer. So you guys have been there like almost from the beginning. I think since we met. Maybe like, I don't know how long ago it's been now, but yes. Many ATXs ago, and we will see you again this year in person, Yay! hopefully, uh, at the live version of ATX. It's very exciting. Very exciting. Yes, yes. We'll be there. All right. If you like this podcast, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Audible or wherever you decide to listen to your podcast. Please give us the highest rating so other people can find the podcast and join in our opinionated fun. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.